Hey everyone, welcome back for our podcast lecture series for the asynchronous content of our course, Theories of Counseling and Psychotherapy. I know that you all have already had your course in law and ethics, and there is a brief section on ethics in our book. It's one of those things that is redundant on purpose, but redundant all the same and a little frustrating to hear over and over and over. So I'm going to keep this very brief so that we can move forward with getting into some of our practice elements and getting into the theories themselves. So your book gives you reminders about what being an ethical practitioner means. It means putting others first. It means knowing yourself and being able to set aside your own personal values and beliefs, knowing your limitations and setting boundaries, and that we, of course, want to practice from a multi multiculturally sensitive perspective, not just sensitive, but actively engaged in becoming more culturally aware of the people not only who are in the room with us, but could be. Um, and I think that makes us not only good counselors, but just good people in general. So these things you already know, you've already heard more than once by this point, so I'm not going to reiterate them here. What I do want to focus on is the right of informed consent. Informed consent, what this is, is really two different things. There's an informed consent document, and that is a legally binding document. And there is a verbal disclosure that goes along with that legal document. So before we really take someone in for treatment, we need to tell them what we have to do as counselors. It's the inf We need to provide their clients with the information that they need to make informed choices. We educate them about their rights and responsibilities. We empower them, and that process of telling them all of these things builds a trusting relationship. We want them to know that we're not hiding things from them. We are not going to make a diagnosis that doesn't make sense, or we're not going to make a diagnosis about them and not tell them. Um, we want our clients to know that what you say here stays here, and what comes after that. What you stay say here stays here unless... You think you might hurt yourself or somebody else or someone else is hurting you. Those are limitations to confidentiality. But we also address privacy issues, including implications of using technology to communicate. So I communicate with all of my clients through my personal cell phone. I have a different phone number that I use. But if my phone were ever to get sequestered for a legal action, now none of my clients can contact me. This is something I realized in the last week or so. So I'm looking at different options for that. Um, phones can get left places. Documents can get left places. Emails can get hacked. Um, so all of these things are important for us to go through with our clients so they understand what they're signing up for. So we have all of this in writing, in a document that we curate. And we don't just hand them the document, tell them to read it and sign it, and then get on with it. We have to go over it with them verbally. You don't have to go word by word and section by section, but you want to hit the key points, which is the limitations around um, using technology um, and any potential risks around using technology. We want our clients to know that sometimes therapy doesn't work. 
Sometimes therapy might even make things feel worse for a little bit. Um, We want our clients to know that if we are ever gone, we're not just abandoning them, that we're going to have a backup person that they can call or provide them with hotlines for different uh, agencies who can respond to those crisis-oriented things. Um, We want our clients to know what the expectations for the sessions are. Our sessions will be 50 five zero minutes long. The fee is $100 or whatever the fee is if you are in a place where you are collecting a fee from your clients. Sometimes um, agencies in the community don't. Like I work for a Medi-Cal billing agency, so I never collect money from my clients. Um, But if you do, you need to tell them how much, when it's expected, and you know what's going to happen if they're not able to pay. Sometimes life experiences change and you have to figure out um, how can you compromise or how can you continue meeting these this client's needs without sacrificing your business? So there's some complications for us to think about there, but it can be a very stressful worry for a client. Therapy is expensive. So being upfront with what your flexibility around things can be, if you have a sliding scale, everyone does this differently. The point is to be upfront and to be honest. So some of the aspects of the informed consent process include things like therapeutic procedures and goals. We just talked about procedures a bit, um, but clients need to know that we're going to have some actual goals for you to work on. Um, It's not an ethical practice to just show up to therapy, come dump on somebody, and then leave. We want you to get better, and we want you to not need us anymore. We're trying to work ourselves out of a job. And one of the ways we do that is by having achievable goals. Goals are oftentimes things like decreasing negative symptoms of something like decreasing panic attacks or so we might say decrease the frequency of panic attacks or increase use of grounding skills when experiencing a panic attack. Improving communication skills is a very common goal and we won't get into how to write a treatment plan or how to come up with goals in this class, um, but the general idea is that they should be both vague and specific. So broad enough that you can get creative with how you're meeting that goal, but specific enough that it actually fits that person and is actually going to accomplish something. Feel better is not a great goal, Um, but decreasing symptoms of depression, that's a much more specific goal. We need to tell our clients what their responsibilities are in this intake process where we're doing our informed consent. Clients have responsibilities. They need to come on time. They need to know that if they're so many minutes late, the session can't happen. And they might try to argue with you a bit and like, oh, well, I'd rather have 20 minutes of your time than nothing. Well, 20 minutes, you know, that's when we're really starting to get into the meat of something. And then you're just having to kick them out the door. And it's not fair to them. And it's really not fair to you as the practitioner to try and do a 20-minute therapy session when the expectation is 50. So your responsibilities are to be on time. And if you have a cancellation policy, um, many people have a policy where if you cancel with less than 24 hours notice, you still owe the fee for that session because that slot could have been given to someone else who needs it. And I couldn't do that. I was holding that spot for you. And there's a price that comes with that. And it's whatever your regular fee for that person is. 
Other responsibilities clients have are that they're going to have to do some work. This isn't magic genie time where you come tell me your feelings and I poof, fix you and everything's better. Medication doesn't even work that way. So it's something the client has to be actively participating in. That's one of their responsibilities. Of course, before we get into any treatment planning or any goal setting, any meat whatsoever, we need our clients to know and understand limitations and exceptions of confidentiality. So I've shared with you before that I work with kids. Some of my kids are very young and I have to explain confidentiality to them. So we keep it really simple. If you ever think you might hurt yourself or you're thinking about hurting someone else, or if someone else is hurting you, that is the only time that I will have to tell somebody about the work that we're doing, and that's to keep you safe. Because my number one job above anything else is to make sure that you are safe. I also use that language because the children I work with are in the child welfare system. So safety is our number one priority. But according to the Board of Behavioral Sciences, it's also your number one priority. Keeping our clients safe, even from themselves, is a legal obligation. And we can't keep that a secret from our clients. They need to know that everything they say stays in the room, stays with you, unless harm is going to be involved, is involved, or has been involved. And the specifics around that ought to have been covered in your law and ethics course. If they have not, please let me know, and I will gladly uh, explain them again um, if you're feeling unclear or would just like to revisit that information. Informed consent should also include disclosing legal and ethical parameters that may be relevant to your practice. You want to share your qualifications and your background. Uh, a lot of times people have no idea what qualifications we have. They just hear that we're a therapist or a counselor, and they make a lot of assumptions. A lot of people started calling me doctor. I don't have a doctorate. And so I have to correct them. You know, actually, it's important for you to know that this is the degree that I hold, and this is what I specialize in, and this is the experience that I have. It helps people to know where you're coming from. And sometimes trainees can feel really nervous about this because they don't want people to know that they are brand new. Um, what if they ask what I did before I went to grad school and I was a Starbucks barista with the bachelor's degree in communication? That's totally fine. You know, you actually have a lot of skills. You're interacting with people in a really stressful environment often. If you've ever been to Starbucks at like seven in the morning, it's terrible. It's like worse than Costco. So don't be afraid of who you were before this program. And don't be afraid to tell people that you're new. Not only do you legally and ethically have to do that, but a lot of times people don't really care all that much. They're honestly so nervous about the fact that they're going to therapy that they don't really care about that information. And one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be clear about this is because in different states, the word counselor and the word therapist can mean very different things. And it gets really confusing when there's life coaches and like uh, sobriety partners. People get all of these things confused. My poor kids I work with, they have at least one therapist and at least two social workers on their team. They think we are all social workers. They cannot keep it straight. And for them, we just kind of let it go because it, they're children. But I am clear with them. I do remind them, I'm your therapist. I do something different than your social worker. 
it's important for you to know who I am and that I'm qualified to do this work. You also want your clients to know the approximate length of the therapeutic process. So not only the duration of each session, but if there are limitations around how many times you can see that person, sometimes insurance companies have that limitation. You can only do so many sessions. Sometimes it's really terrible, like you can only do 12 sessions. So you need to be very clear. During the informed consent process, we have to talk about termination. The reality that you will not always be my client. I will not always be your therapist. And that that is a good thing. You can see me for a few years if that's the arrangement that you have and that's your kind of theoretical orientation. Um, that's okay. But at some point, it'll be time for you to move on from me. And that's okay too. That's actually going to do it for us here with our counseling ethics section, because I know you just had this class. So I'm sure that your instructor for that class gave you a great experience with that information. But if there's anything that you still feel unclear on, or if you like some clarification or more information, absolutely happy to help with that. Just shoot me an email through Canvas and I'll cover it in our synchronous learning. If you have a question about it, it's likely that someone else has a question about it too. In addition to this, there is a half hour or so podcast from the American Counseling Association offering you another perspective on ethics. So it's not just me and Gerald Corey, the author of our textbook, telling you what we think. So go ahead and give that a listen, and we'll see you in class on Thursday for our synchronous learning when we can practice the informed consent and intake process in real time together. See you then.